Shabbat Shalom. Now this is a big weekend, this weekend. And I am not talking about whatever is happening in politics or not. I'm not talking about whatever's happening in Israel. I'm not talking about because the planet has set the hottest temperature on record ever, or even because Gabby and Michael are getting married. No, this is a huge weekend because of Barbenheimer. Ah, what's that, you ask? <laughs> I, <laughs> Shabbat Shalom, okay, we're good. <laughs> I'm, I have to say, I'm a little bit embarrassed to know what this is because how up on pop culture do you want your rabbi to be? But let me explain. Two movies are opening this weekend at the same time. One, Barbenheimer, ah, now, right. One of them is the Barbie movie, and one of them is the biopic on uh, Oppenheimer. And someone asked, I, <laughs> this is how deep I got in this, someone asked Tom Cruise which one he was gonna see this weekend, and he said he was gonna see both. And so then it turned into a whole thing of Barbenheimer, and everyone's gonna see both movies. I guess I have little kids, I don't see movies, but, why are we talking about these movies today? The Barbie picture and the Oppenheimer picture? What do they have to do with us and Shabbat? Well, we need to talk about them because both of these movies are both inherently and overtly Jewish. Let's start with Barbie. Barbie is created by two Jews, right? By Ruth Hendler and her husband, Izzy, who then became... Uh, like, you know, Kent or something. But it, it was started as Izzy. And they created Barbie out of a desire to, you, you know, make money, but, <laughs> which they seem to have done quite well on. But the way in which Barbie was created, what Barbie is, there's been a lot of writing about Barbie as this reflection of the culture that, that Ruth Hendler saw. Right, in his famous essay, The Stranger, Garrick Semmel writes that strangers have this ability to see a culture, to reflect a culture back precisely because they're not a part of it. And so Ruth Hendler and her husband sort of seem to say, it seems like this is what you want, American culture in the 50s. Right? This seems to be the perfection according to all of you. So we're going to give that to you. And they created Barbie in this incredibly complex way. And Barbie remains a complex figure to this day. Right? Barbie was, in many ways, a feminist icon before such things existed. Barbie owned a home when women couldn't have credit cards. Right? Barbie was the president. Barbie went to the moon. But Barbie did all this in really uncomfortable high heels and skirts the entire time. <laughs> Barbie was and is a somewhat problematic figure but a perfect, perfect distillation of the post-war goal of suburban acquiring of plastic perfection. And now we turn to Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer, also a Jew, but a complex relationship with his Judaism. Oppenheimer did not really like to identify as a Jew, and yet, the anti-Semitic world around him wouldn't let him be otherwise. And he sort of refused to admit that his Judaism had something to do with who he was or what he was doing. And at the same time, 
when he found out about what was happening in Germany, he left his teaching position and he worked on the Manhattan Project to try to end the war to save Jews. And so he had this dichotomy in him. He, again, through his life, tried to ignore his Judaism, and yet he hired essentially all Jews for the Manhattan Project. And in Los Alamos, my grandfather-in-law was one of them. What? Yeah, okay, great, there you go. Um, we'll talk after this in Kiddush, all right, Nadia? Okay, great. Um, sorry. And Oppenheimer, in his way, embodies sort of the other post-war American goal, and that is one of technological dominance and perfectionism, and also a kind of assimilation that Barbie also does, and Oppenheimer's with this power and, and almost destructiveness baked into it. And both of the movies that open this week are not just sort of touting the lauding all of this, but both of them, I understand from reading reviews, question. Right? One reviewer who saw both movies ahead of time said that the, um, that the theme of both of these movies is one of, what have we done? What have we done? And as we enter into what seems to be a new era in American life, right after this post-war era, these narratives are being reevaluated, and their evaluation is being played out, at least artistically, through their icons, through re-looking at what the messages are on the lives of Oppenheimer and Barbie. And the book of the Torah that we read this morning does roughly the same exact thing. Devarim is, a foundational, is, our, is the foundational stories of a new world. On the precipice of the promised land, Moses gathers the people to retell their story. Right? Just as they're about to enter into the promised land, Moses stops the whole thing and says, hold on a second, before we go in, let's just retell everything that happened from, you know, Shemot on through Bamidbar, and we're going to get it a second time. That's what Deuteronomy means in Greek, second telling of the law. So they, Moses, in his retelling, shifts and changes the story in little subtle ways to emphasize what the people might need for the road ahead. In his book, Taking Hold of Torah, Chancellor Eisen writes that Deuteronomy incites intense reflection on what it is that we wish to continue and what we have achieved that is worthy of continuing. So for Deuteronomy in this narrative, as Moses looks at what should continue as the Jewish people move forward, there are a few interesting things of note. Right? Nachmanes points out that what is missing from what we read this morning, where does, where does this narrative not start that you think it might? They, what? I heard it. Slavery in Egypt. Right? We don't mention this does not start with slavery in Egypt. Moses is trying to downplay that, even though, of course, it will stay a part of our narrative. But in this moment, entering into the promised land, the, the narrative of us having been enslaved is apparently not helpful, is not one that Moses wants to continue. Moses, however, does emphasize the disobedience, punishment, consequence trope again and again and again, as if to say, as we enter into this land... This is going to be the thing that we need, right? We need people who are going to obey God, who are going to stick to the plan, who are going to stay with one another. And finally, what Moses emphasizes in this Parsha, and especially next week, is to teach this to our children. Again and again, what's happening in this moment, 
as Moses reevaluates the story of our people and retells it as the beginning of Devarim, we're packaging it for education and transmission and creating a story that can and should be passed on to our people. So Moses is trying to create a people who are free, not burdened with their enslaved past, people who are bought into the covenant together, and people who are ready to pass that covenant as well as the leadership on to the next generation and beyond. So as we think about the world that we're trying to create today, we should think the same way as Moses did. What stories are we telling about ourselves? About ourselves, our country, our nation? How can we repackage them? What do we want to emphasize? What is necessary to be brought along from the past era? What is, in fact, worthy of continuing? Because, by the way, according to geologists, we are in a very new era. Right? We just started the Anthropocene, which means the, you know, humans did it version of part of geology, uh, because we are entering into a world that is acknowledgedly shaped the most by us. So as we enter into the Anthropocene, what stories from the Holocene, for fun, what stories will help us as we go forward? What stories should we tell? Chancellor Eisen also writes that this process of retelling and reflection is intensely individual. And in, for the individual Jews, it's not dependent on the Torah, but on the re holiday cycle. Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are the things that ask us to reflect on who we are. What is our narrative about ourselves and what do we need to bring into the new world of next year? And so as we enter into the run-up to the high holidays, we think not only of the stories we tell ourselves as a nation, or the stories we tell ourselves as a community, but the stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves. Who have we been this past year? What stories have we told? What narratives are we going to bring with us into the coming year that will help us be better people? This process of reflection and reevaluation is what our country is going through right now. And we, like the Jews who helped shape icons and visions before us, are needed to take part. Our people are going through a process of storytelling and evaluation in the Parsha this week, and we, as their heirs, as the children that they mean when they mandate that this should be taught to their children, we must accept the mantle of our inheritance and help tell the story and decide what is worthy and needs to continue. And we as individuals are asked to reassess and retell the stories about ourselves so we can be renewed in the year to come. These processes are important because they help guide us who we are and what we want to be a part of. They push us to achieve and to be better. And we have to figure out what stories we want to tell, what will be our guiding narratives in the new world and the new year to come, because only then can we, in the words of Barbie, get our sparkle on and show the world who we are. Shabbat Shalom. <laughs> <laughs>